Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Mocha Dementi podcast. I am Colborn Bell, joined today by Eric, artist EDG. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, happy to be here. Absolute pleasure. Uh, anything I could possibly say about you wouldn't do it justice, so I would love to give you the space uh, to let everybody know uh, just a bit about yourself, who you are, and, and the type of work that you create. Sure, sure. So uh, I'm a professional physicist. I'm a theoretical physicist. That's my day job, uh, teasing explanations out of this crazy world we live in. And really, for me, that's that vocation is part about uh, of a search for beauty that has been my driving force my whole life, actually. So I kind of started doing generative art about 20 years ago. Um, and then I went into physics in pursuit of beauty and then came back to generative art uh, about a year and a half ago when I heard about art blocks and how generative art had this new platform that meshed perfectly well with uh, the art form. And so it kind of rekindled my, my latent joy for that. And I've just been getting really, really into it the past uh, year and a half. And maybe we'll just jump in with a, a strange question and that can dictate kind of the, the flow of the conversation. Um, it, do you believe that time is linear? Well, it's not. So time <laughs> and space are continuous. That's what Einstein taught us, that they're really inseparable, that uh, mass distorts the space time. Uh, yeah, the world is really like way crazier than it appears to us. Uh, in our everyday life and actually that's kind of a theme of my work that uh, we get used to so many simple illusions that we tell ourselves about the world uh, at many different levels so in the physical world but also in the human world and uh, as physicists we're trying to deconstruct those and understand really what's going on at a deeper level and it's also fun to explore that uh, with art so in, in particular with generative art because Generative art is basically like creating new universes with some new laws that I'm designing and then I can kind of let the thing go and, and see where, where it leads. And that's part of the fun of, of doing it. And also it's kind of um, complementary to physics because in physics we have rules that were given to us that we're, we're trying to sort out and we can't change them. Um, whereas with generative art, I can, I can tune this knob or tune this knob and play and explore alternate universes that are adjacent to the one that we live in. It, it wouldn't be a physics conversation without a cat, so <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll let him join. Um, I only ask because you know you have this you have this wonderful generative landscape series from kind of like the early to mid 2000s. I'd love for you mm -hmm. to begin to uh, explore that and let us know kind of how that came about as well. Yeah, so I was in high school I got into to coding and my I wanted to code actually basically to make generative art. I mean, I didn't know that term then, but I knew that I could code things to make pretty things in the computer and that there was a lot of possibilities there. And I was learning about the kind of lay ideas in physics before I understood them deeply. And so I, I learned about these things called fractals, about how in nature, a lot of things, if you zoom in or zoom out, they look kind of the same. Like if you zoom, zoom in on a cloud, it still looks like a cloud. And that's a kind of actually a technical thing and it's a very strange property of nature and you can create artificial fractals on the computer now nowadays people call them noise usually and you can make then like fake clouds and fake landscapes and so on and i got into this idea of 
there, there are some programs where you could make like artificial worlds where I was really, it was generative. I was coding the landscape type, the textures, the atmosphere, and it would create this entire world that you could then later explore walking around and kind of doing like uh, landscape photography in this alternate world. So I, I got into this kind of early metaverse, although it wasn't, it was really geared toward just the, the artistic aspect of, of essentially landscape photography in this alternate world. So the series generative landscapes uh, are just snapshots of what I was doing at the time. So there was a kind of small community about 20 years ago. It was totally uncommercial. It was just a bunch of weirdos like me sharing stuff online. But it it got me down the road of thinking about how one could create algorithms to reproduce things in nature. So at the time, I was kind of literally trying to reproduce and understand nature, whereas mm -hmm. now it's got, it's gone more abstract because now I understand that everything that we see in nature is created by the laws of physics that are themselves beautiful at a, at a deeper level. And now I'm interested kind of in more abstract ways of representing uh, and exploring uh, nature and its al algorithmic aspects in some sense. I guess my mind is a bit uh, all over the place today, but I, I am so um, kind of fast. All of the kind of like metaverse worlds that we've seen have been very like static and dictated, right? So mm -hmm. I'm very curious as we kind of evolve into this, what a generative world would look like and kind of, you know, stepping into a new landscape every time, you know, based on rules, but every time it is different. Is this something you might be interested in exploring, revisiting that practice, and then creating like bigger worlds. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. it's super cool. Like, what interests me about the metaverse is that we have the opportunity to create anything that we want, anything we can imagine. But at the same time, like if it's too alien to us, we won't be able to make a connection and understand it. So we, we kind of are going step by step, starting by reproducing museums like that we have in the real world, but then bolder people will go further away from that. And the, the set of possibilities is really endless, right? So yeah, it's definitely cool. Like, okay, I can do something like a landscape where I maybe would start with something that I'm familiar with, but then we can mm. just see what direction that would go in and who knows. And I think you, you mentioned briefly uh, there kind of like the importance of language, the primacy of putting words to unknown concepts. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of this, of course, we're like very much waiting into the dark and and I think it's you know the the artists uh, perhaps objective to like interrogate the new and and leave it very nebulous but as I've seen you know with crypto art and everything exploding it kind of gets like reduced down to words that people know uh, and then kind of marketed out but I'd love to uh, talk a bit about kind of like alien codex and where yeah, that yeah. idea came about yeah, so, so actually in my academic work, I asked this question, like if we received an alien signal from outer space, would we actually be able to understand it? Like that's basically a scientific question because we know signals, we have something called information theory to quantify them. And you can ask, okay, if you go down that road, you start thinking, well, what do all languages have in common? And then you can study that question from what we know about human languages. And so I did that and I, I started considering like, spaces of all possible languages. And I have some theoretical papers on that. And so my, for my first like recent generative art project, I wanted to explore that same space of languages, which Chomsky tells us is basically the space that human languages use for syntax, but make that syntax actually like geometric. 
so that it can be something that's appreciated visually. So th that was the kind of starting point for that series for, for Alien Tongues and Alien Codex, which are kind of sister series. Right, yeah. And so they're kind of, in a sense, they're real languages that are being shown there from this very, it's almost infinite space of possibilities, um, but just expressed in a way that's, that's geometric, unlike uh, our syntax, which is essentially rules that are hidden that you have to tease out from, uh, from the structure of words and how they're connected and so on. And it was that series of work where uh, I first became familiar. And I'll say there was uh, nobody out there that told me about it. I have no idea how I stumbled upon it. But um, as a former major X-Files fan, it was very, <laughs> it was just very, very attractive to me. It was very unique um, and just compelling around the story that was crafted uh, and I don't, I'd, I'd love to know how much you deal with kind of intentional mystery and kind of letting people mm -hmm. uh, really begin to uncover meaning because I found a lot of personal meaning in it and I found that it was, I don't know if it was intentionally mysterious, um, mm -hmm. but I, I imagine this relates to your work in physics as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like the, the problems in physics that draw me in are the ones where like the space of possibilities is so vast. So say with, with languages or with the origin of life and so on, where it's very hard to do kind of old style physics, very reductionist. And instead we have to embrace complexity. And it's at that kind of frontier of those problems where since there are so many possibilities, we can use art to explore those possibilities. And so I, in my series, like with, with Tongs and Codex, I, I tried to actually make the languages at this point where there was a lot of, um, a lot of complexity in what was shown. And that, that part is intentional, but I, I always like to have some ambiguity there. I don't want to, um, to push anything very particular on it. I just uh, like to set the stage and yeah, allow people's minds to, to roam. So with Codex in particular, I, there's kind of language around a central object and that object was meant to suggest different forms. So I, I tried to make it such that there was some maybe anthropomorphic or other types of forms that would appear and in, in some of them actually mm -hmm. did appear. And that, that was quite cool. And I, yeah, I, I do, I, I like to leave some ambiguity. Absolutely. That's kind of what, uh, what's fun about art that unlike science, we're always driven to precision with, with art. Mm -hmm. We can leave ambiguity there, allow the, the viewer to to take a piece and go in their own direction with it uh like that that's the most beautiful thing that you can have as an artist is to have somebody take your piece and find their own meaning in it right that's just amazing yeah and it, you know and and it was a series that uh of course built into spectral beings um do we want to yeah 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 i'd love to just hear kind of like investigation of um, you know, beyond language, in investigation of like primacy and form. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so that it's also kind of a, from a similar prompt. So one of the things I'm studying in my professional life is the origin of life. And what interests me is not just like how life arose on Earth, but how it could arise anywhere in the universe. Because we bas basically all believe that there's life out there somewhere. We don't know what it's like, and maybe we don't have access to it, but we can still imagine, and we, we know laws of physics that hold elsewhere, so we can try to imagine, okay, what, 
what do the laws allow to happen? So then with the prompt for spectral beings was like, what if there is some simple beings that are, are constructed just out of light? So light can have very, very complicated forms. We, we know you can make lasers and so on. And uh, I found that a nice prompt to think about uh, ways that light could be shaped into complex forms. And I started thinking about, okay, how do we start from something very simple, like a kind of blueprint and, and use that and distort it and start to create some more complicated uh, forms out of it. And that's morphogenesis, which is a real aspect of biology and so on. And translating that all into code, like I, I wanna create many, many possibilities and yet they're coming from one code. So I have to formulate the, this morphogenesis somehow in, in formulas. And yeah, the way I kind of do it is I kind of create like templated body forms and then I, I distort them. So some things are going up and some things are going down. Some things are folding over. And it's it's nice because it, it, it combines my intuition for mathematics. I've been like honing over the past 20 years with uh, like a sense of, of the, the visual and the aesthetic and and trying to, to merge those in some way. And, and that was the kind of idea that to think about and imagine these alien forms and how how they could look. We don't we don't know. And the fact that we're so limited in like the what we can learn about aliens if they're out there gives us this license to to imagine. And that's another part that I that I find uh, fun and and um, uh, like freeing about uh, about art, especially this type. I mean, that's, it's so very tied to the work that I do and was attracted to in the beginning, right? I think, um, you know, I think at times when people are perhaps increasingly finding the information that they choose to find, uh, we continue to put ourselves into like boxes where our expectations are, are just like being met instead of these random moments of serendipity or chance mm -hmm. or or exposure to just like the beauty of randomness which has kind of created everything that we see um i thought you know these it's it, it, it was the people on the edge and the people on kind of like the fringe and and the free thinking minds that really came together and said like there had to be something more and we can kind of like share it and create it and, and show it through the art. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like the medium I love to play with in these digital worlds is the idea that, you know, we can present anything, we can build anything, you know, we don't have to replicate existing structures. Uh, let's, let's be free in these digital spaces. Like let's not have meta put us into places, but let's take ownership over the the art that we install and the types of buildings that we install uh, and continue to, you know, I guess, reawaken people's imagination to what is possible in this world, because it's certainly, I don't think, as static as we treat it. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I love that because one thing that I love about generator art in particular is that even though I'm writing a kind of master code to create forms, I always allow like spaces of possibility such that I can't predict exactly what's output is going to happen and that there's a kind of distance between myself and the output that allows new things to happen beyond even my own expectations, much less those of the, of the viewers who are, are coming to it. So um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Like when we have these new media, especially ones that have at their root something very powerful, like a computer, we can use that to to go in new directions, and we have to embrace that. I'll say, you know, the, the hot topic this week is, of uh, course, and who knows when the, the podcast will be released, but I'm sure it, <laughs> the topic will change. But, um, you know, kind of the, the commercialization of tools like Dolly and Midjourney, right? Mm -hmm. a, a massive fervor over, you know, what is this? What does this mean? Um, if in kind of art, we just skip from you know the beginning to the destination without really an interrogation or perhaps like the, the machine is doing that interpretation I'm, I'm just curious if you have any uh thoughts on this around if yeah if dolly and, and mid-journey are art right so it's a thorny subject uh for my own practice like I use the computer as a tool, but for me, I like it to be a, a simple tool. Like I think of it like a chisel or like a paintbrush where with each individual stroke or or knock that I know what's gonna happen. So my my codes are always such that I, I know essentially at the small scale, how everything that I'm doing is changing the output. So the, the final output can be surprising because it's a cumulative effect of many, many things, but I, I don't like to have a kind of black box in between where I might, type a prompt and I don't know what's going to happen. So it, it, for my practice, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really fit right now. Like I'm sure what will happen is that there will be a new generation of artists who, who maybe like me, they take this as their tool, but then they're, they're not just writing a prompt and making an output. They're going to, it's going to be part right. of an iterative process that becomes part of something larger. So they, they might go back and forth between image and text, or they might be creating storyboards for, for movies, that, things like that where there's, there's still iteration, so there's still room for the artist to go along their own journey in interaction with this, um, I call it a black box, but it's at some point it just becomes a tool that you can develop intuition for. So I'm sure that like we're gonna see beautiful and wild things coming out of it. Um, I've seen a few already. And yeah. just like with any other tool, there'll be people who who try to to abuse it and others who really use it to its full capabilities. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Right? I, I largely agree with that. I think it's uh, I think it's just again a wild tool for imagination. We can't even begin to like predict what. Uh, it, I I just think like oral or written word and like visual have have always been very separated. So the ability to take mm -hmm. like a thought in your imagination and begin to perceive what it could like as a visual output is kind of this very crazy fast iterating loop. Um, it's like it's spoken into being uh, and then it kind of just encourages you to get more and more wild, um, right. which, which I'm very excited about. Where, uh, yeah, certainly like we'll, we'll see that, oh, sorry. No, please go ahead. Like certainly we'll see that there'll be artists who, whose work, whose practice is very intentional and we'll see themselves coming out of it, even though there's this very complicated, um, tool in the middle. And we will discern that from other artists where maybe they're letting the tool, uh, push them and, 
I think it's already true in, in say the generative art that I do of that type where you can see that some people are pushing in their own directions and they're like creating the algorithms to go in the direction that they want to go and others are kind of following maybe techniques that are out there or paths that are out there or things that they just kind of happened upon randomly. And I actually see that kind of division happening now with the type of art that I do between different, what I think of as intentional versus more, I don't know, experimental or, or uh, random artists. Maybe it's a good segue into Mazana. Do you want to discuss that project? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So Mazana was my first uh, art blocks project and part of the, the, what I w was thinking about with Mazana was I've experienced some like cave paintings recently. So I was living in Europe for a bit and visited Northern Spain and Southern France and so on. And when one sees these paintings from like 20,000 years ago, you, you cannot but like put, try to imagine yourself in the place of these people living in, in kind of primitive settings, trying to express their humanity somehow through simple chalk or or what or paint or what or what have you and I wanted to create a piece I mean not to reproduce that exactly there's no point in doing that but to create a piece that where you felt looking at it that there was like something trying to express itself coming out mm -hmm. so um, a kind of humanity coming out of the piece so in the way that the best abstract art can speak to you it doesn't look like uh, something done by a machine by a um, mechanical procedure but something that was somebody trying to express themselves and th that's kind of what, what I wanted to get at with with Mazana and it, in the end it became quite wild and it's a kind of um, just technically like the way that I wrote the code it's kind of like a 3d painting so there's uh, the, the way that, that I that I've been currently working is I it's essentially like painting in the sense that I'm like creating kind of brush strokes locally and then they're building on one mm -hmm. another and mm -hmm. In Mazinot, actually, they happen in a three-dimensional space, which is then projected on the canvas. So that allows kind of cool effects that in the real world with real paint, you couldn't really do. And mm. I was uh, pushing it in that direction uh, with Mazinot. Yeah, and I imagine this all kind of led to the, the show that you had for NFT NYC. Um, was that kind of perhaps your first time like beginning to meet people more uh, physically and kind of displaying your art? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so actually one, one thing that's quite um, important to me is that my art always has a lot of detail. So I call it large format generative art. I, it's art that is meant to be experienced at different scales. So you could look, mm -hmm. there's something that you can see macroscopically, but if you zoom in, there, there's more there. And one of the benefits of using a computer, uh, there's no extra cost in having lots of detail. And I like to, mm -hmm. uh, to take advantage of that. So th that said, like with, with digital art in particular, um, it has the both advantage and disadvantage that you don't know how the viewer is going to experience it. So they might be experiencing it on their phone or maybe on, uh, a laptop, but also you can print the work large and you can display it from a projector two stories tall. And Terrence, who's a great patron of the arts, uh, we wanted to to show the work large. So 
So Mazina and another series stitched, also abstract, were, were printed. Uh, and then we had phantoms and spectral beings projected large, um, along with a piece by Deaf Beef. And yeah, that was just fantastic to to show the work and the, meant that I, the way that I meant it to be experienced. And of course, also to meet a lot of people from the scene who I who I hadn't been um, who I hadn't met, who I'd been talking to online or chatting with. That was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah I was um, frankly blown away how just in you know the middle of um, well call it what it is, bear markets, uh, the, the just enthusiasm, excitement, everybody coming together, the, the, the pitch of the conference was kind of just off the charts. Um, and this, you know, as, as far as you know, never having any doubts, but this was incredibly reassuring, just the types of people that you meet. Uh, was there anybody, you know, that, that kind of stood out to you that you know, you were very happy to just begin to dive deeper with. Oh, it was it was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I met so many people who were just inspired and coming from so many different backgrounds. But like, either maybe they didn't know anything about generative generative art, or digital art at all. Who maybe they knew about traditional art, or people who are artists themselves and. Um, I met a lot of characters, I really so many people. Uh, it was great to meet Def B, to meet Def B finally, because, uh, well, we, we kind of live nearby, but we hadn't met up and uh, it was fun to talk to him and um, uh, to meet you, of course, uh, very briefly. Um, but yeah, there's a few people, uh, uh, just random artists that I, who I met and I don't even remember their names, but uh, just like immediately diving into uh, goals and tensions of the work and what this new space is allowing and and all that this that was just fantastic yeah so let's let's go back to um you know i guess perhaps like future ideas about how to show the work right how you mm -hmm. as an artist would want your work shown in an ideal setting with perfect text uh it's something you know i i very much struggle with so i'm always curious uh, to, to hear from the artist, like what would be the, the perfect manifestation, representation of how people, you would like people to experience your work? Yeah, so I, I think that it's hard to say uh, without being able to, to like, um, to allow, I mean, myself to kind of control everything about the place. I mean, with the traditional, say, gallery or exhibition, you're controlling as much as possible about the experience. Whereas for work that's experienced in somebody's home, then, okay, we can control some aspects, but, but never all of them. So as I said, I like my experience, my work to be experienced large. And what does large mean? So I work on a kind of iMac, like 24-inch monitor, and that that's, for me, large enough where you can you can appreciate the the whole piece in one field of view, but also you can zoom in and see more details. Now that said, with with a print, you you get better resolution, and uh, some of my pieces are designed to be printed. So Mazina and Stitched are. I did a lot of test prints, and the detail is there uh, to be appreciated in that format. So it doesn't mean that they have to be printed. So there are, there are new screens that are out and ones that are coming that have fantastic resolution, and they have a matte finish. So they're they're easy on the eyes and 
that's probably the future for digital art is having a high quality screen where you can scroll through your artwork and change it up as you like. And uh, that would be for perfectly fine for me. Um, it's really yeah, hard to I say because, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, oh, go ahead, please, please. Oh, just that like there are more possibilities than we, we can imagine. And we shouldn't feel like we have to reproduce what worked in the past, especially right. given like parameters of new generations. People are moving more. They're living in maybe smaller apartments. So it's not realistic to expect people to ha carry around with them a lot of prints, but maybe they will carry around uh, a digital screen along with their collection of digital art that they can change up as they want. I see your work uh, looking incredible on some like future hologram tech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've been talking to Sarah Mahoyas about uh, her hologram practice and I'm curious about that, Re really curious. Interesting, yeah. Um, so what's, have, have you got into, uh, you know, I think also we're kind of in like this collective, like breath phase, um, you know, everybody kind of, uh, like stepping back, have you gotten some time to just like reflect on what this is and what this all means to you and where you want to go? time I release that I'm finishing up, I always say to myself, okay, I'm going to take time off afterwards. I'm going to go <laughs> read some books. I'm going to, going to uh, go to the real world. But I like the next day I have some new idea and I'm, I'm uh, playing already. So, uh, well, in a few days I'm going to Mexico for two weeks. So I'm going to be away from my computer. So no coding. Uh, yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I, I, I generally, I don't have like, I have a lot of ideas for things that I could do, but I don't, I've, I've done a lot in the past year and I've been able to explore ideas that I really wanted to get out there. And now I, I am feeling that now I'm at a point where maybe what I want to do is um, to learn some new tools. So there are other, like there are different like libraries and platforms one can use and some are faster than others. Some are better for animation and so on. And um, I am at a point now where I'd like to, to do that, to uh, just force myself to to start with a new kind of workflow. Like a lot of my series, even though they're superficially very different, like under the hood, I have a kind of common structure that I've been using, and that's convenient. And also, it's um, it's a way to like to build up cumulatively the power of what of the tool set. But at some point, you want to just go in a totally different direction and try something new and. So I have some ideas, but I, I don't know what's going to end up happening. Um. I'll shift gears a little bit again. And, you know, obviously physics is very rules-based. Um, what are, you know, some rules you would like to break inside of the metaverse? Or do you think we have the ability to break inside the metaverse that, that would, mm -hmm. uh, you know, inspire people? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think if you look at and see what people dream about, then that gives you an idea of like things we wish we could experience but can't. So everybody dreams about flying. Like when I was young, I could lucid dream actually, and so I would, I would dream about flying all over the place, and uh, <laughs> that seems like the most natural thing to, to allow. I mean, it's, it's close enough to our everyday experience that we can like 
orient ourselves, but it's something yeah. that we all want to do. But beyond that, I mean, there's so many things like you could play with the, the laws of gravity so you can, you can make it such that um, sometimes gravity is pushing you like down. Sometimes it's pushing you another direction. And th that's the kind of thing where if you make the law like relatively simple, then we will learn it. Like as humans, the, the amount of things that we learn that are not innate, it's just unbelievable. So anybody can learn like any kind of set of rules, any laws of physics, but it just takes a little bit of time and a familiar uh, grounding in, in the in the space. So yeah, th that's the kind of stuff that would be like the first steps. And then I think it will end up like building on its own momentum. So you'll see which things people are drawn to and that will tell you which directions to go. Like, I don't, I don't think one should be prescriptive about very, very huge wild things at the beginning because right. um, we need steps to, to build familiarity and intuition. As, as somebody who has flown in the metaverse, I have to say it's, <laughs> it is exhilarating. You know, I, uh, very early on when, when Somnium released the feature, I remember uh, climbing to the, the tallest mountain in the place it took me like 30 minutes to get up there all walking no teleportation and then like just running off the edge with arms wide spread and and it was it was totally totally surreal and beautiful and um just vr is such a powerful medium to to communicate information like even when you fall off a building in the metaverse you still feel it in your mm -hmm. stomach the, the the weight of that falling and um that's really why I'm I'm so excited about just VR and, and that medium and the ability to uh, really like get into people's eyeball surroundings and kind of that uh, you know like the, the the very immediacy of of like the visual sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely, and, and not only visuals. Like you can use visuals, audio, right? Touch eventually like yeah. smell yeah. eventually, like these things are gonna happen that we can create the tech to, to explore that. Like I often think like when I go out to the forest and I feel, I have a certain feeling that comes over me, like mm. how much of that is from the visuals of it? Because I can kind of test that because I have like photo photos of the forest and it's not the same as being in the forest. So like totally. what else is there? There's like, there's the, the breeze that I can feel. There's the sound like rustling of leaves. Mm. There's also like sense, like there's a lot of sense that we are, experiencing largely uh, subconsciously. And like, I, I actually think that that's a large part of our experience that we, that's important to us, but that we don't, we're not conscious of at all. And that, that's another like interesting thing to explore, like aspects of experience that are, we're not conscious of. Like as maybe as an artist, you can like program things. I mean, suppose I could program all the sense that are, that I'm experiencing or that somebody's gonna experience in a piece. Like that would lead to new worlds that people wouldn't even be able to explain. Um, and I think those just, again, like so many possibilities, the, the more we have perhaps virtually or in real life, like control over stimuli, uh, the, the possibilities is just, are just endless, uh, for exploring. Yeah. Uh, I will say, you know, maybe two years ago, somebody did release, it, it was a, um, perhaps like a bit of a parody, but it was sense of the metaverse. Um, and there was just like NFTs as wisps of smoke and then kind of a description of the sense. So it was all <laughs> very unrelated to sense, but I thought that was uh, funny and, and I agree. Okay, so 
I'm I'm very I would just you know I'm I'm kind of seeing how all of these bits of your practice are perhaps like a bit of Lego blocks to kind of put together some totality and I just when I begin to think about um, you know the the building that you're doing around language around like the perception of alien beings uh, around like generative landscape it really does feel you know in 10 15 20 years time that I want to be stepping into your world uh, and I want to see this ever-evolving place populated by you know these growing and changing beings um, and I almost, I don't know if that's like the, the end goal of this, but it does feel almost in like such a primacy where we're like starting to jump into artists' minds and, and their perceptions of reality and like how do we build these worlds and, and how do we experience these worlds. So there's really no question here other than, you know, is, is, this how we will begin to understand each other better in the future by kind of like the, the digital worlds that come from our imagination, uh, the rules that we set in them and how we get other people to experience them. Yeah, I, I love that thought. Uh, I mean, I'm flattered, of course, enormously. Uh, it's really, I think what's interesting is that with, with digital art, we can, we can create like we can create a lot from from a little. So in a sense, we can like in principle, we can create some imaginary world that people can kind of explore at will. And with traditional media, one was limited to like the format of what we could do in and how much it could kind of occupy somebody's life. So you can make maybe make mm. big paintings that can be experienced. I mean, when you ha see the painting, it's there, it's experience. But that's a lot of work for the artist to do and that's one painting. And now we have the possibility to create whole sets of possibilities. And in principle, those possibilities can even not just be my expression of the world that I want, but it can be like an expression of the world that I create for you. I mean, however right, that's, right. that's designed and, uh, well, even like programmed, right. So, you know, there could be input from the person you want to experience based on the rule set that you create. And that is like your world for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely with my work, there's an aspect of, of um, how, can, how can I say it, like, like simulation in the sense that I know the, the rules of physics and I know a bit about how um, like light behaves, for example. And so I like to have some aspects that are more or less faithful to reality, but then other aspects that are totally different so that one gets that kind of juxtaposition and you can have some dissonance between something that almost looks like it could exist, but not quite. And so I, right. I like to play on that, on that border there where I am kind of simulating something, something of a, of a world, but um, something that doesn't exist and something that I can uh, adjust uh, as I like uh, to be a little bit always strange with respect to reality. So I was saying somewhere else that I kind of consider myself a mystic that I, in the end, I, I like to confront people with the utter strangeness of existence and how how much more there is out there in the world that we that we're not attuned to on an everyday basis. And if I can make help people experience that in mean, however way uh, however way they they can, then I feel feel like I have succeeded in uh, 
it's, it's, in a sense, my mission to to allow them to feel things beyond their everyday experience. Um, and I guess what maybe distinguishes me from other artists is that it's not only that I'm trying to show them my world, but to show them the world that is already there and that's already just uh, mm. kind of hidden from view. Yeah, it, it just made me think of, of course, like, uh, you know, the work of the Sistine Chapel, right? The grandiose scale of that, almost stepping into into that world. And then suddenly, you know, we, we move into an era where, um, you know, we, we get to extend kind of reality. And instead of being like fed through a television um, by what is more like top down created, there, there is the, the bottom up building of worlds and places for people to be and content and, and stories. And um, I mean, do you, as, as a natural model, do you ultimately believe that kind of decentralization wins and that we will eventually grow to replicate uh, more closely to nature? Or will we like continue to try and control and dictate? Does that make sense? Uh, so certainly, I think that if we want to see which, which types of systems and organizations are, are stable in the sense that they can respond well to changing environments, that just look to nature because any kind of mechanism you can imagine, it's out there in nature. And the ones that have persisted over millennia, millions of years, whatever, the relevant time scale is are the ones that are stable and so okay this is the kind of excuse that's used for people who say that evolution tells us survival of the fittest is the kind of natural law and so on but then if you look into details you see well actually the way most systems work in nature like ecosystems is that they're highly um cooperative that the, that there's a lot of uh interwoven complexity from like semi-autonomous units that are following their own internal system. So I, mm. I do see like the the future as something decentralized where there's uh, large scale behavior of the system that arises from the cooperative uh, interactions of many, many subunits that are themselves moving by their own devices. So, um, well, it, it, I don't know about all the details and so on, and it depends on the context about how things will play out, but uh, yeah, in general, look, I always say to look to nature because that nature's already tried everything and we, we can see what works. And um, a lot of it is already out there if, we're if we just open our eyes. It's a really nice thought. I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, I'd love for you any final words that you may have and certainly please let people know where they can find you. Uh, yeah, so the best way to see what I'm doing and what's what's new is to follow me on Twitter. So my, my handle is EEEDG underscore underscore. Bit of a mouthful, but I'm I'm sure we'll have a link. And um, yeah, that's the kind of best way to find me. I have a website where I try to keep up uh, what's going on with me, but everything's in flux constantly. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Eric, so much. Uh, I'm Colbert Thanks Bell, a lot. Museum of Crypto Arts. Uh, thank you to Minty for the production. Uh, and thank you, Eric, e -E, well, EDG. Um, yeah, real pleasure. Thanks a lot. Breaking news.